0: when this trainee nurse now saddled with £40,000 worth of debt, which is not being paid for by the government, who is living on minimum wage, is doing so much for society. I just fundamentally think something has shifted. And I think it's something that only issues of health can make you look at differently.
1: Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week I'll be asking a new interviewee to open up about the things that are important and unimportant to them. What takes first place in their life, what they couldn't care less about, and what they'd like to work on a little bit more. Will you agree with their priorities? Will they make you re-evaluate your own? Let's find out. My guest today is BAFTA-winning filmmaker and satiricist, Jolien Rubinstein. Jolien is known for his unique, thought-provoking, educational, but often also incredibly funny untangling of current topical affairs. Among the many brilliant shows and podcasts he has crafted is The Revolution Will Be Televised, a satirical look at politics, which earned him and his co-creator and longtime collaborator Hayden Prowse that much-deserved BAFTA. More recently, Jolien created hip-hop comedy show Don't Hate the Players for ITV2 and Revolting for BBC2, which you will almost certainly remember, if not recognise, as the birthplace of the real housewives of ISIS, a short sketch that became a global news story. I've known Jolien for years, and he's potentially one of my favourite people on social media, with his no-nonsense and yet compassionate approach to calling out social injustice and political wrongdoings. Jolien. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to be on this podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. So I think it's really exciting you're doing this um, podcast series.
1: Oh, man. Thank you. Likewise. So, this is uh, such a dependent question, I guess, on everything that's going on. How are you doing right now? Where's your well being on a scale of one to 10?
0: Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, i'd say it was a so- solid um, a solid six and a half <laughs> i i mean it's it, it's difficult because i'm um i'm dyslexic i'm not a d h d but i'm um i definitely have an overactive mind and i have wildly oscillated in this period of time. i think it's extraordinary how different people's circumstances are, I mean, I know you've got, you know, um, you know, a toddler that you're dealing with. A lot of my friends have, are continuing to work, but in my industry, in the television industry, I was about to start recording, um, the third series of a show that I created and I, uh, associate produced, and then everything was put on pause. And I am one of those people, uh, one of those self-employed people who had basically been twiddling their thumbs, watching way too many box sets, arguing with their girlfriend, and not having enough to do, basically. So I started doing a kind of morning live stream and and sort of found that really, really edifying. I I was contacted the first time I did one by a, a young single mother in Edinburgh who basically told me that she'd been suffering with acute anxiety and that these were really helping. And I started thinking, okay, well... It's not much. It's certainly not anything like um, this sort of social capital that's being generated by these extraordinary people who are volunteering for the NHS and at the front line. But it's something. And so that gave me a bit of structure and I started doing that. And some days I wake up and I'm really excited to, to get online to talk to people, to, to start doing it. And some days I wake up with a really overwhelming sense of dread and strength of futility. And things are very difficult to get going. I find it hard to get motivated and not to, you know, even to get up and have a shower, you know. So it's been a really powerful period of time. And I don't think it's particularly helped by the narrative that, you know, in this period, you should be creating your magnus opus. You know, it's literally the killer for all to be told that. Um, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. How are you doing?
1: Solid five. Oh, right this minute, I'm probably about an eight, uh, eight or nine. I'm feeling really. Now I'm doing. <laughs> right this minute, if I think about it, right now I'm an eight or nine. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, the house seems pretty quiet, so that I'm thankful for that. My toddler's sleeping. You know, little things. So let's go on to your first priority. What's important in your life right now? Where are the areas of your life that you are focusing on? Or that seem like you need to pay attention to that need. They're at the forefront of everything you're doing. What you've said to me is that it's your internal world. Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So I guess
0: you know you can you can um, relate to this as someone who creates their own work, um, but. The incredible luxury, and also the um, the sort of tra- I didn't catch that. oh, my my series talking to me, um, and the sort of the traumatic, um, you know, sort of self saboteur, um, which comes sort of directly into conflict, is if you are a self employed creative who generates concepts. So in my game, there are an awfully lot of different sort of roles but basically you can break it down into people who are involved in production the physical creation of a show and people who come up with those shows who have big ideas and who try to get them implemented and in the last uh, couple of years um i created a tv show for itv2 called don't hate the players with sort of Maya Jarma and jordan stevens and lady leisha and that was um that came from a literally like writing on the back of a napkin on the way back from a comedy festival in Wales, where I was sitting next to the head of entertainment at ITV. And I started to talk to her about this idea I had, you know, I'd seen hip hop karaoke loads of times. And I was like, this should be a TV show. And when you, when you sort of create the, when you create stuff yourself, you have to regulate your own flow. You know, and I'm talking about that in terms of an unarrestable and continuous sense of creative flow in this context um, where you're able to embrace and, and, and bring to fruition what might be or seem to be just a crazy little idea that you have. And that's particularly difficult for dyslexics, I think, because, you know, you have to you, you know, all the all, a lot of a lot of my people, a lot of the dyslexic people are very visual. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly no exception. And you know, you need to sort of translate that. And ultimately, that is only something that you can do. You can't. There is no app. There is no um, person who is able to div- sort of divine your idea um, from just your brain. You need to, you know, get it out there, and then you need to hustle. And for me. One of the things that I've found extraordinary about what's taking place in the lockdown is that it's really kind of brought me back to my creative roots. It sort of brought me back to stuff that is is very political, looking at what's going on with the government, uh, response to the pandemic. Uh, And the bigger ideas, the kind of professional ideas of what I was going to be getting on with have just vanished because my motivation to do them has just disintegrated. And I suppose for me, that is because of how regularly, how well I'm um, maintaining and looking after and tending to my inner world. Mm. Does that, does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's been really tough. I mean, I mean, I, I think that when you realize that, I mean, because also when you're writing, I don't know if you know anyone else who, who who's tried to write scripted drama and but it's it's a very it's one it's a huge buyers market right there are way too many suppliers and not enough buyers but also to to break into that world you need to have a spec script which is you know the pilot and you need to be able to basically be able to sort of outline um, you know the entire series arc and break down all the episodes and that is a huge amount of work to do on spec. You know, I mean, you're you're essentially. I mean, it's something I talk with quite a lot with my friends about recently. I've started to realize that creative people who create content are basically gamblers, because we're all just kind of gambling with our ideas. You know, we 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 we, we you know we we we're, we're sort of betting on the fact that in the roulette wheel of life, you know, it'll it'll end up on black, and that that number will just happen to be your creative idea, um, and so when you're doing that kind of stuff, you know, when you start having a new idea, it can be quite overwhelming because you can realize immediately this is good. But to bring this to fruition, I'm going to have to put in X amount of hours and slavishly go back to the process of creation, which I think we should talk about later, which I think is really relevant for people to understand a bit more about that process. Um, particularly when it comes to trying to write a script, for instance. Um, Mm. and, and it, can, and it can be quite overwhelming. And I've certainly felt like, my God, it's so much easier just to kick back, you know, smoke a spliff or something and, 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 you know, play some FIFA on the PlayStation rather than actually grapple with this gigantic idea that, you know, could be great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you do that thing where it's the best idea in the world and then it's the worst idea in the world? And then you get to this point where you're like, uh, I'm OK with it. I can move forward with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm a real big believer in this idea is that you don't have ideas, like ideas have you. And I think some of them, you know, Paul McCartney talks a lot about when uh, yesterday just kind of floated into his head uh, after a good night's sleep and he woke up and he could kind of just play all the chords, knew the lyrics. And I'm a big believer in that. Most of the ideas that I have had have just somehow just dropped in. I mean, maybe that's because you know, they're just, you know, marinating in your mental juices and suddenly they're just perfect and, they, you know, it just kind of pops out. But I think that certainly in that first instance, yes, you, you're like, hey, this could be really amazing. And then you realize what would be involved in bringing that thing to fruition. I mean, a lot of the time now, a lot of time that I spend speaking to people who are just starting out in the industry and stuff is how do you present your ideas, you know, in what format do you present it? And it's totally different. You know, when you're creating an entertainment show, a lot of the time, they just want to see the poster. You know, when you're creating a comedy, they want to see some kind of tape and maybe see, you know, a couple of pages outlining it. But when it comes to anything that's scripted, they want to see a script and that that takes, you know, a real, um, that takes, that takes real work. And, and and it's and it's hugely time consuming
1: can i ask you what that's like on your mental health
0: in, in what sense
1: in that extent to which you need to completely focus and give yourself over to create these things to create that script
0: so i'm um i'm a big believer um again because i'm dyslexic in the in the idea that you can use technology in unusual ways. So my process is when I start to realize I've got something is I'll start going for really, really long walks. And I think partly this is a process that came from, first of all, you know, studying international relations at university and then going to sort of film school and, uh, and, and, and really ex- ex- sort of accepting that I don't have the whole idea yet. I've just got this idea. But in the first stage of creation, you're just kind of drawing together all of the raw materials on a particular project. So one of the projects I'm working on is trying to turn George Orwell's life into a limited series. And, and it, it was a huge, huge process of sort of working out not just the kind of biographic data, this kind of timeline of... What had happened in his life, but the lens through which we would look at that information. So, almost think about it like a bit of a sieve, and you're sort of panning for gold, if you like, or sieving, you know, to to, to get the real nuggets that work for what you're doing. Um, And that's, you know, that can be really tough. And I think in terms of how does it affect one's mental health, I think it is a, Uh, does things that are diametrically opposed which is it can be incredibly energizing and it can feel very exciting Um, but the process of bringing it to fruition can be arduous and dangerous because what I've learned and I and I really think this is the key phrase is it's, it's hard to have a good idea but it's much harder to continue to believe that that idea is good.
1: I couldn't agree more with you.
0: Uh, yeah I'm sure you've gone through that too right with all your endeavors
1: yeah million times
0: how do you how do you battle through it
1: oh prioritizing is probably how I battle through it I sit with things for a little bit and I also accept what I have to let go or maybe let go of for that time so let go of ideas that are draining me that maybe aren't where I should be focusing my energy at that point in time. Cause that's always been a a thing for me that I get really excited about ideas, but then, you know, get to that point of realizing just how much work they are or get a couple of no's on them because rejection is always big. Right.
0: How are you, how do you do with no's?
1: I do all right. I do all right. I mean, it hurts, doesn't it? Rejection hurts, but it's part of the game that we're in if you, if you exist in the worlds that we do, if you're a freelance journalist and even the work that I do with meditation and coaching, you know, you get rejections every day, multiple. So you've got to get a little bit okay with it.
0: This is something that, you know, I'm experiencing a lot at the minute is, and it's very difficult with the scripted stuff because when you start getting to the sort of higher echelons of, uh, you know large-scale production companies or broadcasters it starts getting quite exciting but the reality is that you're just waiting for another person to have a read mm. and that can become incredibly tough because you're you're basically you've already had kind of a bit of an okay and then you're waiting for more and more people to try to go through your work and and see whether it correlates to stuff that you know that you're you know that, that, that they kind of want to do and what I found is that I kind of have a two-stage process where oh sorry three-stage process so if I get an email that's rejecting one of my ideas my immediate thing is walls go up and I go it's fine this is all part of the process and this was to be expected it's great that we're in touch anyway Then the second part of the process is total internal collapse where I won't admit it to anyone, but I'll have this excruciating feeling of what I could have done differently, how I could have done it differently, how I could have presented things differently if only I'd I'd done this, if only I'd done that. And then the third stage which kicks in is some sort of relatively grounded realism that comes with having done this before which is and i think the best example i can give is when we did our first ever show after a good six or seven months of putting together uh, this proposition of creating like basically a prank sketch comedy show where we took on the powers that be and having the materials we went to Hatrick Productions and we initially got a taste to tape from channel four. And this is real like wish fulfillment here, you know, the dream, you know, I'd always wanted my own comedy show and we, we shot a taste to tape for channel four. And then I, we left it in the hands of the editors at the company. Cause we were like, Hey, they must know, um, they must know how to do this stuff. And the edit that came back was, it was just not in any way what we would have done. The rhythm of the cut was totally different. The jokes weren't landing and it got turned down by channel four. And that was an excruciating feeling because I knew that the only chance of the show finding any birth at all was with BBC three. And at the time there's a guy called Zy Bennett, who was becoming the controller of the channel. And he wasn't even going to be installed for three months. So there was this huge waiting game but somehow internally, I knew my navigation system knew that this was something good. And I think something that is fundamental to creatives and to basically people generating their own, I definitely say this for entrepreneurs as well, is that you have to trust your gut. You have to be able to say, this feels right. And eventually when we met this guy, I went through the entire process of, you know, internal self-saboteur and this isn't going to work out or whatever. And it did. And I think once you've kind of got past the gatekeepers once, you can start seeing that you can do it again. But it is, it, it's, it's its more and more difficult, I think. I certainly, I don't know, do you find that as you get older, you feel almost more sensitive about your work? I mean, I certainly find that I do.
1: Mm, definitely. And I actually feel more sensitive since having a child as well and taking a bit of time out. And, you know, I'm only 35 about the same aren't we um but you know
0: I'm 39 but we'll go with we'll go with
1: (laughs) stick with that I'm almost 36 um but yeah I mean there are journalists now who are 23 who are at the papers who are you know with a byline or and I do I do find um that I'm more sensitive and what you said about the sort of second process that you have where you internally collapse I can completely um relate to that one a hundred percent but then I also find that I do pick myself up a little bit quicker as well um it is that that thing which is so annoying when people say it to you but is so true which is that if they don't want you they're not the right person for it and you certainly experienced that with channel four as you say you went with your gut and it was the best possible outcome even though at the time it feels shit
0: I just it's just so strange isn't it because it sort of all comes back to these old sort of adages and truisms. Like, you know, I, I actually realised Jimmy Mulville, who owns Hat Trick Productions, said to me once, and I realised this is actually a quote from Dr Seuss, is the people that matter don't mind, and the people that mind don't matter. And that is something that fundamentally on one's journey um, is so important to remember, And it, and it gets harder to remember. So I think what has definitely taken place throughout lockdown is, you know, more and more people expressing senses sense of helplessness, senses of inertia. Um, and, you know, for me personally, you know, the consequences of, of lockdown pr- professionally have been, you know, catastrophic. You know, all the shows we were working on have stopped. People, loads of people I know have had to make horrendous decisions about losing staff, furloughing staff, closing businesses. Um, I'm sure you've had, you know, similar experiences. But if you, if you internally as well are self-sabotaging your own gut, then I think you're in real trouble because you will never be able to follow your internal compass. And that is the only guide that we have, right?
1: Completely. What do you notice when you don't prioritize your internal world or when do you realize that you're not paying attention to that gut feeling or what's important inside?
0: I just start slipping back into old patterns of behavior that no longer serve me. Um, I I had a period of time in my life where I was not just self-sabotaging but I was extremely critical of myself. Um, I, it was never really about what I'd done. It was always focused in on the things that I hadn't done and hadn't managed to achieve. And I, I find that I become incredibly harsh internally. Um, I am lucky enough. Um, To sort of have been introduced quite early on to, you know, to to, to working on uh, my own mental health as being a priority. And although I'm not in therapy at the moment, the grounding that that's given me has transformed my life. And I still try to practice a lot of that. So metaphors certainly helped. Like the first time I started to really get in contact with the idea that you are not your emotions and that emotions are much better seen as more like weather patterns moving through. So sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's windy, but the ground is always the ground, you know, and this too shall pass and sort of fundamentals that sort of really cleave between clinical psychology, Buddhism, um, you know, yogic teachings. And I think, there's never been a time where there has been more memes sent out and you know inspirational quotes on instagram posts where people can be in touch with those ideas um but it's hard to put it into practice you know it's incredibly difficult especially if you can't sort of name a discursive thought as exactly that and say this is this is not me this is just thinking you know
1: completely and you know thoughts are You know, they're like water through rock. So when water goes over rock, over how many thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of years, it eventually forms grooves and then the water just goes down those grooves. And it's really similar with thoughts. And we have to change so many years of conditioning and thought patterning to form like these new paths for ourselves. It's just natural for us to go to that place that we've been to for so many years. And it takes a long time to recondition ourselves. Probably takes a lifetime to recondition
0: ourselves. That is so true. That's such a beautiful way to, to put it. I think that I, yeah, I, I, really, I really struggle to to connect to that all the time. You know, like I find it, it, it really depends on, on a day-to-day basis on, on whether I feel like I've done something positive. So one of the reasons that I started making these, doing these Instagram Lives was because I sort of started feeling like at least that is something to do. You know, and, and then there are days where, you know, I'm just doing practical things and I suddenly feel like I've done absolutely nothing. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Certainly what really broke through for me was when I realized I saw a talk where a clinical psychologist was talking about how most of the discursive thoughts, like most of the nasty things we say to ourselves are word for word, almost verbatim, the words that were said to us, um, when we were sort of chided or told off or or, or, or warned as a very small child, and I realised that a lot of the stuff that, that 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 happened for me when I had you know a two point four children family, or I thought I did, and then when I re-examined it, I realised that you know my father had had retrained to be a lawyer when I was born. He wasn't around. My mother wasn't around because she was working, and that had created a real sort of needy, um, a very um, uh, a, a personality type that was really in need of constant validation and those things are you know i'm at an age now where i can really vocalize that and it doesn't really have any kind of mental effect and it doesn't affect my self-worth to sort of say look actually i am i am like that um and it and it and it is an issue and it needs sating and obviously in that context you know social media likes and you know fucking validation from your industry and stuff become even more pronounced and then you have moments where I mean for me I I, I've been very lucky the NHS has sort of saved my life a number of times I had a, a cyst that perforated my bowel and my spine when I was about 23 and I had um they had to perform something called a, a peritonitis where they sort of cut you open, basically sort of stitch up half your stomach. And I remember really waking from that and being like, fuck me, like, what are my priorities? Like, what, why am I not valuing, like, the time I have with my friends, my fantastic relationship with my family, um, over what some form of professional validation, um. But these things are fleeting. I think the reason they call it mindfulness is because you constantly need to be in touch with them. And most of the time, we're not, you know?
1: Yeah, completely. You're always just pulling yourself back there. But that is the practice as well. The practice is pulling yourself back over and over and over again.
0: It in the first place, wasn't it? It was talking about these ideas.
1: Nutrition is a priority for me. And I know that the more plants I eat, the better I feel. However, with a busy life, I, like you I'm sure, don't always manage to get my daily quota of greens. So I'm very happy that this season of Priorities is sponsored by Foga, a new brand that makes plant shakes, pre-portioned blends of freeze-dried fruit and veg that you simply shake up with water or milk to create a restaurant-standard smoothie at home. I'm not really into protein shakes or powders. However, these are genuinely amazing. They're so easy and delicious. Right now, I'm digging the ginger and greens combination, and my daughter is a big fan of berries and cinnamon. They contain zero extra sugars or chemicals, through freeze-drying have all the nutrients locked in, and their whole plant, meaning they have all the fibre of fresh fruit and veg. It's really the lazy person's dream. If you are looking to easily and affordably prioritise your nourishment, then I'd love to find out if you enjoy FOGA as much as I do. They're offering £5 off your first box with the code PRIORITIES. Check them out on www.foga.co. That's F-O-G-A. Thank you to Foga. I love sleep. Seriously, it's one of my biggest priorities, and I'm a different and much improved person when I get my full eight hours. So I'm incredibly excited that this season of Priorities is sponsored by Sleep Siren, an independent lifestyle brand fueled by a passion for health, wellness, and great sleep. Sleep Siren brings together science, education, and luxurious products to offer meaningful support to busy people who could sleep a little or a lot better. As the mother of a toddler and having suffered from insomnia on and off my entire life, I know firsthand how helpful Sleep Siren can be at identifying and covering your sleep needs. Whether you're looking to read an expert article on the latest sleep science, treat yourself to some insanely soft silk pajamas, or simply find a luxurious eye mask, sleep siren have everything you need to sleep well tonight if you would like to improve your sleep i'd love for you to have the same experience as me with sleep siren so they're offering 20 percent off with the code priority 20 check them out on www.sleepsiren.com thank you to sleep siren we've covered it a bit your second priority that you gave me was professional um You know, life has never been more bizarre and uncertain, as what you wrote to me, which is obviously couldn't be more true. What you were saying earlier—does your sense of self depend on work?
0: Yeah, I think to an extent. Yeah, I think I'd be I'd be lying if I didn't sort of admit that. I think I've made in my mind certain at certain points in my life, I have made sacrifices in my personal life in order to focus on my professional life. And I've always been very, very sort of self-starting. I've been self-employed my whole life. I've I've never had a normal job. Um, And for the main part, that served me quite well. But what's difficult now is that feeling of total uncertainty as to what my offering could possibly be now. So I think one of the things, certainly, I felt very proud um, particularly after we won a BAFTA, to be able to say, I define myself as a satirist. I am someone who satirizes current events. And it sort of made me feel like I knew my shape a bit more. I knew what I... It, it's almost like a, a prism throughout which... Or, or a prism you look through in terms of it informs your view of the world. And it also protects you from the world because, you know, most people you speak to will say, look, I can't watch the news. It's too depressing. And... For me, it was like when I saw that stuff, I was like, "Okay, that's good material. I, I know what I want to say with this." And it sort of shielded me, so it meant I could stay informed, but it wasn't um, overwhelming for me. it just became the raw material of creativity. Um, that's becoming harder and harder to do now, because I just think you know the realities of what we're facing are so unprecedented that it's very difficult for me to, to really sort of see professionally how those things can, you know, essentially turn into money, you know. Um, and I think that like a lot of people, I'm going through a process of working out what really matters, working out why certain ideas that I've held on for a long time to, just as an example, like needing to live in London, have to live in London to achieve what I want to do. Um, that's suddenly gone out the window. Because if anything, this this process has just proved that you can do anything remotely. That you can well, apart from maybe stacks and shelves. But particularly in our line of work, you know, it, it is possible to do these things. Not ideal, but possible to do these things remotely. Um, yeah. Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. Does any of that make sense?
1: Yeah, it made perfect sense. It was a great tangent. Um... But that also brings us on to your third and final priority, which is external, so personal relationships, which of course get reprioritized daily, hourly, for most of us.
0: Yeah, I am um, very early on, because my mum has type 2 diabetes, I realized she was going to have to isolate, and we tried to get ahead of the curve, and was lucky enough somehow to get hold of uh, a medical-grade oxygen machine which because I was extremely worried about the fact that if triage happened um and she you know she's a woman in her 70s and you know if you had young families who needed ventilators she would be able to get them um and it really made me think about the mortality of my family um my friends and I think that's probably because quite early on uh I knew um a couple of people who, very sadly, have sort of passed away as a result of the virus, and it became very immediate for me. And I started really thinking about my friendships and the and and the power that had come from them, and also past romantic relationships, actually, and trying to sort of honor them and can reconnect with those people to say, How are you? Are you all right? And you know you and me are both huge advocates for you know, Speaking is a great form of therapy. You know, talking your thoughts, not letting discursive thoughts just sit upon you. And I realised that was really important to continue a dialogue um, with people and to and to reconnect with a lot of people who I hadn't spoken to in a long time. Um, So yeah, I guess that is very very important to me. And I think the amazing thing, like someone will listen to this podcast that neither of us have ever met that will completely relate to an awful lot of what we're saying and that is shit and that is simply through the process of your cognition realizing that y- this is powerful for you and it will be powerful for other people and i think that connection with the external and it connecting with other people the value of those people is something i think is a bit of a silver lining to come out of all this i think re-establishing the value chain so that people who really do courageous wonderful things for other people get the recognition they deserve both financially and socially is for me a, a a positive change from the seemingly endless stream of you don't look right you don't Eat right, you you aren't pretty enough, you aren't thin enough, you you know, it, it, it is a it it was it it is well, certainly still is to an extent, but we were living within a very toxic culture that was massively damaging people's mental health. And I'm hoping that during this realignment, you know, hospice workers, care workers, delivery drivers, nurses on the front line, they seem to have a completely different standing in society than they did six weeks ago.
1: Completely. I think that's the best way I've heard it put, re-establishing the chain, the value, chain value.
0: That's lovely. Yeah. Well, I think it's the value chain. I think value chain. It's that thing of like, oh, someone's been on Love Island and they've got a six pack and they are, they basically just spend their time taking photographs of themselves in their room with their baps out. Mm. Why is that person capable of generating £150,000 worth of sponsorship? for literally just putting up provocative pictures when this, you know, trainee nurse now saddled with £40,000 worth of debt, which cannot be, you know, which, which, which is not being paid for by the government who is living on minimum wage, is, is doing so much for society. I just fundamentally think something has shifted. And I think it's because, and I think it's something that only... A, a, you know, issues of health can make you look at differently. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure it could have happened any other way mm. than a health crisis.
1: Do you ask yourself with the work that you put out there, do you ask yourself, am I adding value?
0: I mean, I have to be honest. I think... It, it hasn't been something... I mean, that's not entirely true, actually. I mean, one of the things that I'm most proud of with Don't Hate the Players is that it's the first ever TV show to have had an all-black, all-female uh, lineup uh, for a panel show. And for me, it was always about every piece of work saying something more, being something more than just a TV show. Um, but at the moment, I'm more actually... I'm more just asking myself, why am I doing things? Like, am I doing this to save my ego or am I doing this to help someone? You know, Mm -hmm. am I... And and particularly because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do at the moment uh, on Instagram is is questioning the government narrative. And I get a lot of people coming back with a lot of anger, you know, saying, look, this is not the time uh, to be doing this. And you may be, you know, well-meaning, but we really need to get behind you know, our workers and our, and stuff. And then I have to say, okay, hang on a minute. Well, that's a totally fair enough point of view, but we live in a democracy and, you know, as George Orwell said, you know, the first victim in a war is truth. And, and as far as I'm concerned, sort of speaking truth to power is the role of any writer, any uh, broadcaster, you know, um, and anyone interested in social justice. And I think so for, for for the minute, I think it's like i'm very lucky, very privileged not just to be a white you know heterosexual male in a deeply deeply divisive and unfair uh system um so very privileged to to, to really be that person, but also I have a privileged reality of having a platform and of having you know an education which brought me you know to work at u n and you know in, in New york non chomsky and and I've got an opportunity to make things entertaining and educational. That's what I should be doing, even if it's, you know, sometimes deeply unpopular.
1: I think you add value. I'm actually I was surprised by your answer because I thought you'd say yes. Um, but I liked your answer very much. But, yeah, I really feel you add value both in your old work and in the stuff you're doing now. I love tuning in to watching you make cups of tea and have a really open and honest chat about everything that's going on. And when you are, you are criticizing the government, which for me, I do agree with, but you're also doing it from a very human perspective when Boris Johnson was unwell you were completely on the side of him getting well again and got a little bit of flack for that so you know you can't really win either way.
0: No I mean I think this is really important which is like I have had enough of this tribalism like ultimately like we need to go back to evidence-based reality you know you and, and I think for me it is about I mean, and listen, I mean, I am nowhere near the forefront of this. If you look at the stuff that, you know, litters James O'Brien's mentions, James O'Brien is a LBC talk show host. It is horrific, some of the stuff that gets said to him, for simply stating facts, because for a lot of people now, facts are not real. It all has to come from a specific point of view and you need to and you know the only reason one must be putting it up is to further push a particular viewpoint and i think what is really needed is people saying look this is a fact these are the numbers this is what has happened and i'm i'm getting more and more sure that uh, pushing that is what's important you know evidence based reality and what its you know meaning is
1: mm-hmm. Well, I'm thankful that you do it. Tell me, Julian, what is not one of your priorities? What do you not prioritize at all? What do you not care about?
0: I mean, I still smoke and um, I vape and I, you know, I I definitely think that there is a a type of cognitive dissonance uh, sort of around that. And I think it's like, it's a bit like, you know, I saw a lot of memes recently being like, Uh, You're not an alcoholic. It's just lockdown, you know, with people like (laughs) having a glass of wine every night. It's like these are extraordinary times we're going through. And I'm not sure, you know, sometimes I wake up and I'm suddenly like, Jesus Christ, I'm not prioritizing my, you know, my internal well-being. And I think think that, you know, I, I also think that stuff I don't prioritize enough really is sometimes the people that are really closest to me because I think in these times what often happens is we take some of those people for granted and often I think you know a lot of people have found this living with people is you suddenly take stuff out on them that you would never usually do you know because you just would have because because you'd be talking to your you know whatever your friends or your work colleagues or stuff in a way that you know is tough I mean I can't imagine for you guys I mean you know what with the the, the normal realities of you know, having a young child. And now, you know, you've got to do all the entertaining yourself. I mean, were you going to nursery or anything like that at this point?
1: I had um, a nanny who helped two days a week, which is when I did most of my work. And then I got a bit of help from my mum and mother-in-law, luckily, because they're not too far. Um, And now we just divide the day. So we do a couple of hours each. And we have to just be okay with doing a little bit less work being okay with not being able to put stuff out there as you say as well there's this whole energy of like you have to I don't know write your best piece of work ever and be as productive as you possibly can and someone sent me this uh twitter quote which was you're not working from a home you're trying to work in a pandemic from home
0: that's so true isn't it I mean that is just that really nails it I mean that's 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 the thing is it's it's very difficult to remind oneself of those basic truths. And I think that is something that certainly I have struggled with. Like there are times where, you know, me and my partner find ourselves in stupid arguments about stuff and we realise that actually we're not taking into context. We're We're not in any way looking at the broader context. We're just thinking, oh, everything is just exactly as it was. We're just having a bit of a tiff. But actually, the extraordinary pressure on people, I think we're only just really starting to grapple with. Because obviously, after the initial crisis, there is going to be, I think, a huge difficulty in people trusting going back to normal and the, the sort of almost agrophobic fears of leaving one's home and the dangers that await one outside. And... You know, I think that is something that, you know, I've, I've found particularly sort of difficult. I, I mean, I, you know, I, you know I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about jumping back on the tube mm. or going to the pub and stuff like that. Um, how are you feeling about it all?
1: I feel all right. I feel up and down. It feels pretty weird. We were talking about this earlier. My partner and I were saying, when you go back, if you have to keep a distance, you know, getting on the tube, how do you do that? And how far will the lines go back? You know, I think they worked out that if you did it at Euston, they'd go all the way to Covent Garden. So (laughs) if you were trying to keep that six foot between people. So similar to you, I just have no idea what things are going to look like or, you know, the idea of my parents not seeing their grandchild for potentially another year or so when I think about that I get quite overwhelmed yeah. so I, sh- I try and stay quite day-to-day personally on that kind of stuff
0: all we can do isn't it all we can do is rely on the day-to-day is rely on that reality you know there's there's literally nothing else that we can actually you know that we that we can focus on like that.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So, if you were going to focus on an area of your life you want to prioritise more, what would it be?
0: I think it, I think it probably would be just the basics. You know, I, I think I'm I think I'm at that point again where my yoga practice has totally vanished. You know, my meditation practice has gone. I, I need to sort of reinstill those very basic points, because as we were saying, you know, the the reason you call it mindfulness is you have to return to these things again and again and again. And, and I think, I think, you know, partly because I just got an Apple watch recently, I've suddenly been running again. I've been like, Oh, running. That's great. I'll be uh, edified by some strange icon that will come up saying, Hey, great job. You went for a run. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, for (laughs) me it's a lot of the basics and also I think, you know, being brutally honest about this, it, it's, it's also about just internal kindness, which I think I I can be very hard on myself and try to, you know, sort of do exactly what you're talking about, which is to stop thinking about this in terms of the pandemic and start thinking about this in terms of all the things I haven't been able to achieve uh, and that, uh, you know, will not happen or may not happen. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I find really difficult.
1: What what are you going to do to get yourself there, Jolien? What step are you going to take from today?
0: I think I'm really just going to keep focusing in on the work. You know, for me, it's like, uh, I, and, and look, everyone's different, but for me, um, the reason I do what I do is, in a lot of ways, because it helps me process other bigger thoughts, you know, so... Writing about George Orwell, for instance, has been wanting to write something for a long time about the blurring of fact and fiction. You know, trying to write, uh, and I'm going to do a video later on today, where we're talking a bit about, you know, should these big corporations be taking bailout money from the government, even though they're they're corporate tax avoiders? Um, That's something that's kicking around in my head. And it's sort of like almost the way to get it out is to do the work. But I also think, I don't know, I think I'm just trying to be, I'm really just trying to accept that the world has changed and that that is, that is the reality. And that, that I'm finding quite difficult, I think, at the moment.
1: I don't think you're alone. Yeah. And I think if you weren't, that would be weirder.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally, totally. I think it's, it's just so difficult to... It's just so difficult to do on a day-to-day basis, you know. It's one thing to do it, uh, you know, at the odd time where you know you're thinking about, um, you know, you you know, you think about your own mental health and stuff like that briefly. But just to stay, I think what you said about taking things day to day is the key, and yeah, it's something that it's something that, that we all need to do really.
1: Thank you
0: so much, Jolian, for that. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So great to chat with you. So we can find you on Instagram at the moment, right?
0: Yeah, so my um, handle, this was a mistake, it's classic dyslexia, right? So uh, my name's Jolian Rubinstein, but I thought, oh, okay, I can write Jolian Rubes as my handle. And everyone just was like, why have you got Jolian Rubs as your handle? (laughs) What is that about? And I realized that, you know, it's, uh, it's <laughs> but yes, you can, you can catch the, uh, I'm going to keep trying to do this thing. I think Guan Britain in the morning, uh, and you know, Sunday papers live and really just more and more sort of live stuff. And, you know, hopefully some of the bigger ideas will start being more attainable as we yeah, grapple with this new normal.
1: Brilliant. Well, I'll be there and I'm sure some listeners will be too. Thank you so much, Julian.
0: Yeah, you too, mate. It was lovely, genuinely lovely to speak to you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it. Need a little incentive? Every month, I offer one free 60-minute online coaching session to a listener. All you have to do is hit subscribe, rate, review the podcast, and then email a screenshot of your review to PrioritiesPodcast at gmail.com. You'll then be added into the ballot for a free one-to-one coaching session with me in which we will help align the priorities of your life. Thank you so much for listening and take care.